Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is a kind of impromptu, uh, unscripted uh, version of my show, Stories We Live By. Uh, it is another one in the wake of the horrible Parkland massacre of children in school with their teachers. Um, it, 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 another nightmare. Uh, I did a show last week suggesting that we are, our country, our society, is sinking into a kind of a tribalism, uh, an authoritarian tribalism. No facts, uh, no logic, just emotional uh, hatreds and um, turning into a kind of a barbarism that there's no place for people to be safe. You can be shot to death. In a church, you could be shot while praying, in a theater while watching a movie, uh, outdoors. Uh, some guy can have an automatic gun that, with a bump stock, whatever the hell that is, that turns it into a machine gun and kill everybody. Uh, 650 people shot, 600 wounded, 50-some-odd dead. And now uh, another school shooting. Uh, and the question is what to do about it. And, of course, I make myself my clear. I won't argue with this. Uh, the, the getting of, of, of military-style weapons uh, off the streets and out of the hands of everyone except the military or necessarily, if necessary, a SWAT, a SWAT team uh, that requires it, um, <clears throat> carefully trained in the use of this, uh, carefully trained in how these guns will be uh, uh, dealt with when they're not being used, um, uh, how they'll be secured. Uh, I won't argue with that um, because to me it's inarguable. But the the uh, and it won't stop the problem. I understand all the arguments and I understand the argument of the Second Amendment. Although I won't go into any of that today. Uh, for 50 years, I have been a member as a psychologist of the mental health industry. I call it an industry because it is so fucked up with insurance monies and, and the drug companies uh, that even in the best of intentions, it becomes difficult for uh, professionals to earn a living and deal with their patients, their so-called patients, uh, and help them. Uh, without all kinds of intrusions uh, and all kinds of labeling of people uh, having things wrong with them that we pretend are medical conditions uh, that require more and more drugs, expensive drugs from the drug companies to deal with. Now, um, I'm going to just briefly deal with the notion of why there is no such thing as mental illness I did a long broadcast, one of many I've done over the years, <clears throat> on the 30th of October uh, past year, 2017, uh, suggesting and going into detail why there's no such thing as mental illness. That uh, if there were, uh, and, and certainly if there were a brain condition behind it, as, 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 which, which allows us to call it an illness, uh, uh, then I wouldn't be dealing with it because I'm a psychologist and social workers wouldn't be dealing with it. And even psychiatrists wouldn't be deal with it, dealing with it except to throw drugs at it. Um, and we would have endocrinologists and neurologists dealing with it, uh, doctors who are trained in the brain and how to treat a brain uh, that has somehow gone awry. 
Uh, so I am not equipped to deal with illness because I didn't go to medical school. And uh, this is one of the, the simplest arguments against calling something a mental illness. Of course, then it's called a mental disorder, but in order to keep the drugs flowing, uh, the, the, everybody has to agree that there's some kind of a brain problem uh, uh, that must be dealt with, usually pharmacologically, um, so it really becomes an illness again. You don't throw drugs at unhappiness uh, uh, that may be caused by the environment, may be caused by the sensitivities that an individual has on a, on a constitutional level or a combination of events, uh, you deal with it as a psychological adaptation. And that's what I argue uh, so-called mental disorders and illnesses are. They are not medical conditions. They are adaptations to the world, the best a person can do, given the totality of their biology, uh, their environment, their, their social upbringing, uh, their economic class, uh, what they experience as a human being in terms of race, religion, and all of the other things uh, that powerfully shaped, shape how we deal with the world. But I want to talk today about and this is so important, is let's assume that there is something that we can call mental illness uh, and that the argument from the gun lobby and from those who will not give an inch, although maybe they're starting to give an inch, uh, on getting guns off or having some form of gun control or who can get guns, uh, is that if we only deal with the mental health of the individuals who get the guns, we're going to be fine. And, of course, no proposals are made about what to do because we're talking about a fictional entity. We're talking about uh, something that actually doesn't exist. What does exist are the attitudes and values of a person who wants a gun for the purpose of killing other people. What The first thing you hear about uh, this, this young man... Uh, uh, who just did the Parkland murder, is what's his motive? What was the motive of the guy in the tower in Las Vegas who shot 650? What's the motive? Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, I don't know what the motive is, nor does anybody else, but it was a bad motive. That is, a morally bad motive, and a psychological one in which the person who was shooting other people, for whatever the reason, doesn't think of them as human beings. Now, if anybody follows my show, you know that my, uh, uh, one of my pet uh, uh, theories is that when we dehumanize and demonize other human beings and can't see them as human, then we do things to them under certain conditions that are horrendous, but which we're free to do because what we're doing is something morally good. When the Nazis killed 11 million people in their, in their extermination camps, 6 million of them Jews, a couple of million who were gypsies, 3 million who were Poles, they were untermenschen. They were perceived as not human, as rats, as uh, uh, some kind of, of a rodent, some kind of a disease in the fatherland that was morally right to eradicate. 
This young man uh, uh, who ran into the school killing was a young man who was called by uh, somebody from the NRA, mentally ill, and a monster. <clears throat> well, a monster is a, some kind of a being like Frankenstein or, or, or Dracula who is, looks human but isn't quite human, and he can't see the damage and the pain he causes to the victims whose blood he drinks or who, 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 who he damages. So metaphorically, this young man is a monster, but he's not really a monster. He's a human being. And to understand his motive, we have to look at him and the context of his life. And I don't know enough about it except that he was orphaned, that he was uh, uh, bullied and was a bully, that he's been angry for a very long time. So we call him a monster or we call him mentally ill. Now, what do we do about these individuals who behave monstrously? What do we do? What do we do about all the individuals who own guns whose fantasies are monstrous? One of the questions I ask all the time. Uh, I know my fantasies and my, what my fantasies are around my golf clubs. They're all grandiose. I'm going to shoot my, my age before I die, and I will if I live to 105 and I can still play golf. But what are the fantasies of gun collectors? We don't know what they are. Therein would be an understanding of their motive, but we have no access to that. No access. So what are we going to do to protect our children from the mentally ill or the mentally disordered if we Leave the guns in place. What are we going to do? Well, uh, the, the chief of police in, in Parkland uh, says the cops have to be able to run in when there's a tip and get the guns away from these individuals. And the suggestion all over the place is they should be brought to a mental health facility where they can be dealt with by mental health professionals. Terrific. What if the individual whom we get the tip has no desire to hurt anybody? What if he does? Can the mental health professional or the police or anybody predict with any reliability who will act on their fantasy and kill other people? Who will? We don't have any ability to do that. What are you doing here, says a man with an AR-15 who somebody turned in. What are you doing here, he says to the police. We're going to take you to a mental health facility because we think you're a danger to yourself and others. The man says, but I'm not. What about his civil liberties? Do the police now begin to snatch people out of their homes who own a gun? who somebody thinks for something they've said that may or may not be an actual credible threat? Is that where we want to go? Right. Let's break into the homes of everybody in the country who has an AR-15 and take them to a mental health facility. And what do we do when we get them there? person says, I don't want to be here. I was arrested without my constitutional rights. 
And while we have a constitutional right, and by the way, please stop saying a God-given constitutional right. God did not give us the Constitution. Some very extremely bright people called our founding fathers created a Constitution to protect us against monarchies, to protect us against one person or a small group of taking over the country and instituting their rule against our, the way we want to live our lives. That's where it came from. But if there's a constitutional right to carry a gun, there must be also, I know it exists, a constitutional right not to be arrested without a warrant or without cause. How many millions of people can we drag in and bring to the experts in the mental health field? Well, let me tell, talk about the experts. What I've learned in 50 years of working with people is that none of us make any real prediction ability as who is going to do what. People will say, I want to kill my wife. People will say, I'm going to kill my kid. People will say all kinds of things in anger that they would never carry out. What do we do when we hear that? Lock them up? Question, how do you treat somebody who doesn't want to be treated? I have always said that for many, many years that to try to force somebody to think differently is not treatment, it's torture. Trying to change somebody's mind against their will is a criminal act by the Constitution, against the Constitution on their freedoms. And it's usually hopeless. Over the years, I've had so many individuals brought to me by parents who want their children to behave differently, but the children don't want to behave differently. The parents are sometimes exasperated. Sometimes when I work with the family, I see that the parents don't want the child to do what the parents are doing. The father beats up the mother and then says to the kid, don't go to school and fight. Impossible. I was once brought a child when I still worked at, at the, 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 mental health, the so-called mental health clinic that I worked in uh, that uh, was beating up kids, was a bully, and was spouting Nazi slogans. He sits down in front of me, this angry 14-year-old, and he says, I'm not talking to you. And what do you do then? Smack him around so he'll talk to you? Can you get somebody on your side to share his thoughts, his fantasies, his life story by force? The answer to this, no, you can't. Give him a drug like truth serum? Anyway, the kid sits with me, and somehow during the session, I noticed his haircut was odd. I said, where'd you get your haircut? And he throws up one side of the hair on, on the left side of his head, and there it's all shaved, and there is a tattoo of a Nazi swastika. And he says again, I'm not talking to you, you fucking Jew. The session ended. I went out. I said to the mother, I'm sorry, I can't work with your son. Maybe there's somebody else here who's better equipped to deal with him. Uh, I feel bad under those circumstances. But at that point, my prejudice towards him, my vulnerability towards his ugliness, uh, uh, just wouldn't let me spend the time necessary to maybe win this kid over. 
And my feeling was no one was and no one will be able to win this kid over. Whatever he's involved with socially outside of his family or maybe in his family, who knows what he hears regularly at the dinner table. We don't know these things in most cases. So what will the treatment be? The treatment will be when they talk about taking somebody to a mental health facility. It's not an outpatient clinic. It's a mental hospital. And they're put in, in Florida it's called, they're Baker Acted. That is, I once Baker Acted a patient who was very dangerous and disturbed to himself and others in a, in a, in a, uh, a nursing home I was working in. He was brought to the facility. He has to then be committed involuntarily. Uh, A judge has to write the order ultimately that he is committed because you can't just bring someone in and lock them up against their will. It's the same thing as dragging them out of the house by a cop who feels that this particular person with a gun may or may not commit a crime. For many years, I've been involved with groups of psychologists and psychiatrists who are against involuntary commitment. Now, sometimes there seems to be a good reason for an involuntary commitment. The person does act in a way that he's danger to others, and certainly sometimes to himself. I'll throw another story in. A young man that I met who had been committed uh, uh, by his parents because uh, he was raised in a secular home, and somehow he found God. And he wanted now to become a religious individual. He wanted to give up the parents' wish that he be a doctor or a lawyer, I forget what it was, and become a minister, become a priest, a rabbi. I don't even remember what the religion was. The parents were so upset by his behavior, by his constant praying and his talking and his changing his diet, they had him committed against his will. This did nothing to change this young man's attitude. Although, when the doctors in the hospital decided he was not necessarily a threat to himself and others, he ran away. I saw him after he was away from his family for a couple of years and swore he would never talk to them again for how they, in his view, they betrayed him, had him locked up. He was just as religious as he was. When his parents committed him, what do we do with an individual when we don't respect their viewpoint? We call them mentally ill. We call them crazy. And if we think they're dangerous, we have them locked up against their will. What treatment will we give them? Well, we're going to put them on drugs, which may control some aspects of their emotions, but really don't seem to change the underlying beliefs of an individual, except to make them feel that they've been victimized and hurt by a system that treated them unfairly. We may be protecting ourselves, but what happens to our Constitution? What happens to the laws that protect our privacy? So when we look at the issue of mental health and mental illness, we don't ask, what is mental illness? For that matter, we never ask, what is mental health? Well, if mental illness, as I say, is unwanted adaptations to the world, and we ask who doesn't want it, mental health 
is what are the adaptations we like, what we admire. That's what mental health is. It's our value system that says this person's development, this person's way of being in the world is a good one as opposed to a bad one. When our values say that somebody is behaving in a bad way, we label them in our society crazy, mentally ill, mentally disordered, mentally disturbed. That's all it means. We know nothing about the source of their beliefs. We know nothing and can predict very little about what they might do when they act on those beliefs. We have no idea how long they may hold these beliefs or whether something will happen to change those beliefs. But when we lock them up and when we force treatment on them, we are taking our constitution, the same thing we say God gave us to allow us to use guns, and we piss it down the (coughs) toilet. Excuse me piss it down the toilet. What's mental health? Since I can declare in my value system anybody to be mentally healthy or mentally ill, and I have a license both in New York and now in Florida to make that judgment, I can. I can simply say anybody who owns a gun is mentally ill. Constitutional right or not, they're crazy. Uh, I was watching the same woman who called uh, the young man in, in, in the uh, follow-up conference, the town hall that CNN did. Uh, she called him mentally ill and a monster. And she now on television, I hear her say, that everybody has a right to protect themselves and the women of the country are buying the most AR-15s, assault rifles, to protect themselves and their children while they're at home. From whom? From some other nut job who has an AR-15? What is it like to be a child whose mother sits by the door or walks around the house with an automatic rifle, a semi-automatic rifle, waiting for someone to come and hurt her and her children? What will be the mental attitudes of such children? growing up in terror and rage and anger and wanting their own semi-automatic, which, according to the people in this country who who support the NRA, everybody should have their own on their God-given Second Amendment right to protect themselves. Does that make sense? Or does it sound like we're all crazy, that we're all mentally ill, but not mentally ill? Frightened, angry people who can't think our way out of a paper bag, where to me, we help individuals, we help family, we help individuals to get an education so they can think that children don't grow up in terror, that to the degree that we can do it, we prevent their abuse, we prevent their living in squalor and terror. We, we clear up the neighborhoods of crime, get the guns off the street. And if we can get the guns off the street in slums where gangs have them, we should be able to get the guns off from the so-called normal and healthy people. Well, that's not going to happen. Or maybe it will happen. There's some signs that more and more people don't want to live 
in a society in which they can send their children to school or the movies or a concert and get a phone call to come and view the mutilated body of their loved one. The whole idea of this mental health and the mental health clinics and the evaluations that prevent that that professionals provide and our ability to predict who will or won't and our ability to destroy our constitutional rights and give doctors the right to lock somebody up for an indeterminate time, if not the rest of their lives, until they decide that individual is no longer a threat to themselves or others, is bogus. It makes no sense. It is politically expedient, but it is incredibly, incredibly destructive to the way in which we all want to live our lives as citizens in a democracy, according to the rule of law. I'm a little more heartened today than I was when I did my descent into, into uh, barbarism rant. A little more. Uh, there seems to be a real activism. Uh, politicians are maybe following, finding some heat. They see the light when they feel the heat. Companies are taking a stand because their customers are increasingly pissed off at companies that, that uh, are politically active in an organization whose interests are inimical to their living their lives. So there is a broad movement of women who've had enough of being second-class citizens and abused. And more and more people in the country, 97%, want full background checks. Maybe, I hope this will last till November, and we will see a political uprising that, that changes some of the basic ways in which we deal with guns in this country. So, that's the end of my show today. There is no such thing as mental health except the behaviors that we like, admire. There's no such thing as mental illness, except the attitudes and the behaviors that we disagree with and not value, that frighten us, nauseate us, upset us. They're not illnesses, they're states of mind, ways of being in the world. We don't know the mental health of all of the, lead, all of the individuals in this world who now in our country who are carrying around massive amounts of ammunition and AR-15s awaiting an attack by someone just like themselves. We don't know. Even if we know their attitudes, we can't predict what any of them will or won't do with any kind of certainty whatsoever. And then if we do, what do we do with someone who hasn't committed a crime? How do we lock them up? For how long do we lock them up? And how do we make sure they change their mind about what they want to do? How do you take a Nazi who wants to kill a Jew or, or, or a Ku Klux Klanman who wants to kill a black and change his mind? How do we do that? And the answer is it'll take a concerted effort from the entire society in its attitudes and behavior, but to trust Psychiatrists, psychologists, and social workers to do this is a bad joke. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. Non-existent, a fantasy, 
A slogan, a slogan in and of itself do nothing to stop the tumble of our society into an authoritarian, tribal bloodbath in which nobody even knows who is the villain, except it may be their neighbor who have to, they have to kill or damage before the neighbor gets to them. Okay, folks, nobody called in. I may go back on the air. I have to go out now for a haircut. I always like my haircut. I'm going to go out for a haircut, and I'm going to come back, and I'll maybe go back on the air and see if anybody has heard this and wants to call in and have a conversation. I wouldn't like I would like that. I always like that. So I'm going to end my episode.